This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome back to the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Pelican Built Tough. For all situations, go to pelican.com. Yak Gadget. For all your fine kayak fishing accessory needs, go to yakgadget.com. Eastport Marina on the beautiful shores of Dale Hollow Lake. For all your lodging, kayaking, and fishing needs, go to eastport.info. Now let's get this show started. Welcome back, everyone. Another episode of Feather and Fur. Your host, Brad Hurlbus. And today we're rocking down in Texas, and we're bringing Cody Richards right onto the show. What's Welcome going on, guys? How y'all doing? It's Thanks good, for having it's, me. It's the middle of summer. Like, it's almost August. Like, we're just a few days away, and our early teal starts in September. So, like, I'm a month away from go. Like, it's it's a month away yep. from game time here. Yep. Same, same with us. Ours uh, starts in September as well, actually. So, uh we run September 10th through September 25th for till season this year. All right. So we're September. So our teal season's the same. It's seven days. It's the first through the seventh. Our early goose season is the first through the 15th. And then it, if I remember correctly, there's not even a break for a goose. It rolls right into regular season then. So, but early okay. season, early season's when it's really fun because regular season three birds a day early seasons five birds a day so like you're going out there you're setting all the decoys it really makes it worth it to get a four-man limit throw 20 geese on the ground that, that's oh yeah pile. that's a pile and teal's always a good time like i know up here so up, up here like it's got to be the same for you like the colors are super washed out and it takes some knowledge to know like you're shooting teal like i'm assuming that's the same down by you well, so I don't think we have, I mean, th there is plenty of people that shoot the wrong species during teal season. Wow. You know, the, the ongoing joke is that everybody is, you know, stomping spoonies in the mud, you know. So the joke for you is spoonbills. For us, it's wood ducks. Like, okay, wood okay. Du I know wood ducks get slaughtered by inexperienced. And, and, and they, they do too, like uh, on some of those East Texas, you know, and, and some of our lakes where there is some good wood duck hunting. 
you know, you'll get, you'll get, but, uh, so you will get your wood ducks, but most, most places in Texas, you're either hunting the lakes for teal, the rivers, but mainly where, where, where the hot commodity is, is in the rice fields. Got it. So a lot of field hunting then for the teal. Yeah. A lot, a lot of, a lot of field hunting. I mean, you know, they call them rice rockets. I don't know if y'all refer to them as that up there. We don't, we don't, I never have at least, but we don't have rice up here. Correct. Y'all don't, you know, so, so like, why would y'all refer to them as rice? Maybe they'd be corn rockets. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they'll hit the, I mean, but early season though, like we're not cutting corn until October. Okay. So, I mean, all of our corn still standing, like we're hunting marshes mainly at this time of year. Um, that's mainly what we're doing. Marshes or rivers this time of year. And, and even for the rivers, it's not, I'm hunting backwaters of rivers, which really look like a marsh at that point. Okay. Okay. So uh, the geese will be field hunting geese. You, you'll get like a good hay cut. They might be cutting alfalfa. It's too early for beans still. It's going to be too early for corn, but like if you get on a fresh cut, alfalfa, like hay field or alfalfa feed, that's golden this time of year. Like that's like, if you can get permission on that field, it's game on. Okay. Okay. Yeah. See, I don't have a lot of experience, you know, as far as like the, the Canada goose hunting goes because we don't have much of that down here. Sure. And like for, for me, I've never hunted rice. And to be honest, I didn't realize like rice was a big deal in Texas. Like I had no oh, idea until okay. you just said that. Yeah. So rice is a big deal in Texas and in Louisiana. I knew um, Louisiana because I, okay. I, I talked to Jay, the owner of blind grass. And we were talking about that. And he was talking about hunting rice for uh speckle bellies. Yep. Yep. They, they, they tear them up over there and same with Arkansas. Arkansas has been really tearing up specs the past couple of years. Which that's something I got to get down there for. Like that's something I like we'll occasionally get a random snow or spec to come in with a, like get completely lost and confused and be rolling with a flock of Canada geese. But it's rare. Like if a See, speck it, is spotted in Wisconsin, it goes all over every Facebook group. I saw a speck or I saw a snow so, like instantly. So that's how it is for us with the Canada. Unless you're in North Texas. And in, in North Texas, we do have some migratory, you know, Canada's, but at that point, you know, they're they're not even like a greater Canada, you know. Sure. They're more the cacklers, they're the, the small bodied ones. Got it. Got it. We'll get some cracklers to come through here, but it's mainly greater and lessers that we have. We have your just standard typical big old black white headed like black and white head goose i mean like, <laughs> they're just big like my dog's pretty small she'll get them but she struggles like my old lab was much better at hauling them heavy birds back especially after a long day <laughs> but she's aggressive. i'm sure your dog appreciates the teal hunts after after that after yeah, having she, to tote those big things she loves them grouse man that's where she really loves it what's much, much less work for her she can run around in the woods and she doesn't have to swim and make her way through decoys or, swamp grass and everything else right and not get and not freeze to freeze to death to get in that cold water mm -hmm. oh yeah once we start to get that ice up the dog stays home and i'm using a small boat or my big boat to get birds because it just See, gets and i don't i don't have to mess with any of that ice stuff ice eaters breaking ice i've had a i've i've had to break ice maybe once oh it's breaking know? ice i've had seasons like if we've had a really cold year so on a really I think it was 2019. I was ice fishing before deer hunting, which is always the third weekend of November. I was ice fishing. Holy cow. Like that's how hard we froze up. And I'm sitting there weighing the option. It's like, 
do I go duck hunting and find some open water or do I go hammer bluegills and crappies on early ice when they don't, when they're dumb and have no idea what's going on yet? And I'm like, I can't pass up early ice in the middle of you November. Like, can. I mean, I go tear up some pan fish right. and, and fry them up. Oh, you know, and out of that super cold water, they just like, they're just firmer. They're, they just taste better to me personally. So, I mean, yeah, like I'm like duck hunt or be one of the first ones out on early ice in November, which is the earliest I've ever been out. I'm like, yeah, we're gonna go chase the fish. But see, then you can chase the ducks longer. If you get on the early, if you get on the early fishing, you knock the fishing out. Now you just focus on your hunting. And that was the crazy thing about that season. Like it got warm. The water opened back up. I don't think I was back on ice again until like the end of December. What? It was that crazy. was a crazy season for, for you to be that frozen where you're able to ice fish because I know that ice has to be a certain thickness because you have to be able to be able to walk out on it or drive your vehicles on it and the sheds and that whole nine yards, you know? I So early ice, you're walking and I don't go out unless I have a good clear three inches, which a lot of people won't touch three inches. I know people that go out less. You have to do what you feel comfortable with. I would never tell someone to go out on three because if three can go to one really quickly, especially if you have a little current or a little difference in like wind. So I use okay. a spud bar and I spud my way out. Basically, it's a metal bar with a triangular tip on the front. Like, and I know like one good whack is still what like if I get like one good whack and I get water coming up, like that's like no, we gotta back yeah. it up. That's too much. So, and you can get weird lines in the ice. Like, cause you'll get windswept areas where like the wind will come across, keeping it, keeping that water open, then it'll flash freeze overnight. And if we get a little dusting of snow, that line is gone. So, I mean, you can go from like safe ice to half an inch in ice in less than one stride. Yeah, that's dangerous. Oh yeah. So you got to be on your game for that early ice. So I spud like every step I stop, like I poke every step. Like my arm is sore by the end of the day, not from drilling holes or fishing. It's from using that spud from, bar. Like making sure you're safe. Right. But that was a crazy year. That that was the same year grouse camp. Like it, I got there the first week. It was gorgeous up north and northern. Like highs were like low 60s. Lows were like 40s and this is middle of october still like this is right around this is halloween weekend my buddy met me up there after i'd been there for five days and the weather snapped highs went to the teens lows in the single digits snow every single day and we're in my camper and i officially know and people here have already heard this but i my camper when it's in the teens my camper uses 10 pounds of propane a day to heat it <laughs> it's a fun trip like it's a good time but it was crazy the weather that how it snapped and then it got warm. That's a lot of propane though. That Ten pounds a day. Yeah, like like when I'm factoring in my hunting trips now, like if like if I think there's gonna be a cold weather snap, like especially with the cost of propane now, yeah, like I gotta factor in propane. It's for sure, for sure. But no, it's good and like. I, I want to kind of like roll back to how I normally start my shows. I love that we okay. just started right away. It's awesome. But I want to know how you got into hunting. Like, did you grow up with your, like where you're growing up, like with your grandpa or your, yeah, dad, or so, your brother or uncle or. Yeah. So actually I got into to duck hunting primarily. That's, I mean, off, off the, off the jump, I started dove hunting and duck hunting. Um, so I've been doing it since I was like three, of course, you know, I wasn't carrying an actual gun, but at three, four years old, even five, I was taking a BB gun with me. 
right. you know, so I, when we go out to the blinds, you know, growing up, I'd either have to be toted in by four wheeler or on one of my uncle's shoulders or my dad's. And we, we'd marsh, you know, marsh through the rice and, and set up and, you know, I'd sit there with them in the blind and, and pretend to be shooting the ducks with the BB gun. And as a kid, I got fooled because we'd, we'd go to clean the birds. And, you know, as a kid, you're shooting a BB gun. You're used to a BB. So right. it's like they're like, hey, look, you shot this. And they're showing me a BB in it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I did that, you know. <laughs> and, and I believed it for, for a good while until I got older and, you know, old enough to realize, hey, I got juked, but right. it, it, it fueled my fire and my passion to do what sure. I do now. Sure. That's awesome. That's, it's funny looking back, but that's awesome. Like, the, like, Hey, we found a BB in here. You must've got this one. Yep. And I've, and I've I plan, been there and, like, go ahead. I was going to say, and I plan to do the same trick with my daughter. She's nine and, and I've done that trick with her and she's still yet to catch on. So that's awesome. And I remember, I remember taking my nephews, my nephew out and, I smoked a goose and he shot right after and he goes, I got that one. I'm like, you sure did. Like there was no hesitation. Like, like, yep. like that was your bird, man. Like, like you had the confidence, like the, t the timing was right. Like I, I'm pretty sure I dusted that thing, but like, I mean, he wasn't a terrible shot. Like I'm not like I've, I've seen much, like I've taken youth out before and I've seen some kids that have like never handled a shotgun before, but I took my nephew right. out like sporting clays and stuff. And I think his first time out on the clay course, he shot a 14, which like the average for the first time is like 12 or something. I'm like, and he's 12. Yeah. I'm like, dude, that's solid. Like that, that's a good round. Like, like for your first time, I, I wouldn't be upset with that at all, but it was a good time. Upset with that at all. I mean, I've been out to those clay courses where I've seen somebody hit three, four clays out of the whole, you know, the whole volley of them. Moving to the, all the different positions that they have and hit three. I'd probably pack up and go home if I was having that bad of a day. Like at, well, at that point, I'd probably throw my shotgun at one and be like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's the shotgun. It's not me. It's the shotgun. It's the shotgun. I, did, I didn't shim it right. It shimmed to the right. I got to shim it over to the left. The barrel's not straight. I don't have enough drop. I don't have enough drop. I'm not put I'm not keeping my head now. I will admit, like I'm terrible at keeping my head down. <laughs> like, and that makes all the difference in the world. Like, if I have a good like if I go out and practice and shoot a lot of clays and get into a good, like good rhythm and I keep my head down, like I'll watch my scores. Like, if I don't shoot much and I like I'm a hundred percent instinctive by the time I hit duck season, like I find myself keeping my head up to watch the birds and I like miss a lot of shots. And like when I start right. to remember, like you got to put your head down, like like all of a sudden I start hitting birds. <laughs> oh yeah, no, for sure. For sure, for sure. It's it's I still I mean, I've been I've been waterfall hunting for years and it's still like I still want to watch the birds work. That's the problem. Like that's where I'm at. Like like the birds are in range and like their their feet are down and they're cupped up. And I'm like, I don't want to take like I don't want to put my head down and focus. I want to watch the birds. It's a beautiful sight. I mean, just seeing Mother Nature. And, and what you were able to do, you know, come together and, right. and, you know, get the, you know, the whole point of hunting, yeah, is to hunt and, you know, get the, get the game, whatever you're after and successfully, you know, kill it. But at the same time, you know, that hunting is more than that, you know, it's about oh, the commodity sure. and the blind or at the camp, you know, and a lot of people don't realize that a lot, you know, we got a lot of new generation hunters that it's all about the photo and that's it. 
and, and that's- I think I think that's a trend. I've talked about this before, and I, I really believe there's a transition a lot of hunters go through. I really do because. Like when I first started waterfall hunting, I'll, I'll admit I fell into that. I needed a pile of green heads only. Like I needed limit pictures, anything less than that. Just well, And like it started to slowly change where I realized like that's not the driving factor for my experience anymore. It's that like amazing retrieve by my dog or it's that flock that cupped in at that last second and just made like you made that perfect call and they like hit the brakes and turned and came right in or yeah. it's the it's the retrieve of the dog. It's that one retriever that where the dog gets that perfect mark and it's kind of buried and they like you're like you kind of know where it is and the dog just goes right for it and grabs it and break like those are the moments now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. See, and I'm getting chills just right now, literally just talking about this because it's it's basically all your hard work that you've done right. coming together and getting paid off, and you actually get to see it pay off in front of you. You know, yeah. there's no there's no long wait for years and years to reach that accomplishment. And I mean, I've had some hunts where, like, I, w- I was hunting a super high pressured area. The birds knew it. I got to a decent spot, but like just to get any bird to work is hard. And I think I only shot two birds that day, but I saw at least a thousand birds and like it was snowing and they were just flying and working. And like, they knew where the safe areas were. They knew where the dangerous areas were. You got some new birds in there that were, but I was able to get to come in. But like, I didn't have like, if you looked at my picture afterwards, there was two greenheads. That was it. Yeah. Like that, and those were the only birds that worked my spread. Like I didn't like miss a ton of shots or anything like that. Like those were the only two birds that worked my spread. But that day was amazing and it's burned in my mind as the snow's fallen and there's hundreds of ducks circling around me and they're just like, nope, I know what you are. But it's like, it was awesome just to watch those yeah. birds and the weather and like, it was crazy. Oh, absolutely. And then on top of that, you know, with the birds, like you said, you got two and I guarantee you that when you went back to the boat ramp or walked back, I don't know where you're hunting, but I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people that didn't even get to fire a shot that day. And that happens. I mean, I've been there before where I picked that wrong spot or the wrong blind or just wasn't set up right. And the birds wanted nothing to do with me. And you hear that hunter down the way, just hammering away. It's like, man. And then I have to think like, I've been that hunter before and I've made it happen. And I picked the right spot. I mean, that gets tough though. Cause then like, like personally, I'm like, did I scout enough? Like, did I screw up my scout? Like, that's what it rolls back to to me. And then I start thinking like, why did I pick here? I'm like, was this just because I've had a good hunt here before? Did I actually scout it? And most of the times I, it, it's because I had a good hunt before and I didn't have time to scout it. So I rolled the dice. Like that's really yeah. how it works. But the fact that you take the time to break it down, even to that extent, most hunters do not. So, mm-hmm. you know, well, I like to take out, like I take, like I said, I take out veterans and first responders and and youth. So I really try to like approach every hunt the same. Like I want to give someone a, a really great experience. And that doesn't mean that we're going to kill a lot of birds like that. that like that's just like not the experience. I'm, I'm going for the whole experience. Like I want them yeah. to like, I want them to enjoy like the decoys when the sun rises. 
Like yep. I want them to see that picture. Like, cause those, like I've got a couple of sunrises burned in my mind that will never leave. Like I want to see the, them to, like, even if the birds are working, maybe they flare at the last second, but they see those birds work and they get to experience those good working birds and cook maybe a little breakfast out there for them or something. And like just the whole experience to like see what it is. Cause like once like there's something special about waterfall hunting to me, like, it, cause it's not a solo sport. Like I'm in the yeah. blind with like, I'm in the blind with people and we get, we get to talk crap about each other, like make fun of each other. Like it's so laid back and we just joke around and, like we get serious for the minute the birds are working and then like the birds aren't working, like it's right back to being a bunch of idiots. Yep. Got a message out to swipe it off. <laughs> so you're a waterfall guide in Texas and I've never hunted Texas. So I'm curious, like what type, like come, like I know you're hunting rice for, for rice for teal, but come middle of the season, like, what are you focused on? Are you in fields? Are you in ponds? Are you like in lakes? Or are you coastal, like coastal hunting? Like where's, so, your, go where's your, where's your go-to? So me personally with my outfitter and all my guides and, and everything else, we stay mobile. You know, we have private ground that we have access to across the state. Um, and, and when the birds are there, we, we hunt it. And, sure. you know, and, and then of course, you know, you have those guys that, Hey, we want to hunt this area. And you say, hey, I have this land, you know, it's if we're going to roll a dice on it, but we can go if you want to go, just know that it's a 50-50 shot. And I'll, and you know, I'm up front with everybody and let them, let them know what the, what the deal is. Hey, look, you, you want to hunt close to home? We can hunt you close to home, but your, your odds are going to be less, you know, right, less right. success rate. And then, um, so, but we hunt all over Texas. I mean, from the lakes, the rivers, the bays, um, the backwaters in the in the bay systems, um, little salt ponds, farm ponds. I mean, I I try to stay on the birds as best I can and chase them throughout the state. You know, um, on my website, which I mean, I just use Facebook as a website, but sure. um, if you go and look, it'll say that I you know my what's hunt. Your web, before we what's your website? Like, call it out. It's uh, all good, man. So www dot facebook.com slash waterfowl outlaws and that's w-a-t-e-r-f-o-w-l-o-u-t-l-a-w-z not we'll with the f with the z we'll link it so there'll be links in the description everybody can easily find it so so um but so you know I, when i'm when i'm doing my advertising i post that hunts can take place within up to three hours of a drive from the center of houston okay because right. you know they i i, I want to put people on the birds so right you know and on and on, on top of that now i offer some you know offer clients or whoever buddies clients whoever wants to come hunt you know i offer them different scenery so they're not having to see the same thing every time and that's sure. that's a big thing down here in texas is you either hunt public ground, which your public ground, which is, you know, like your wildlife management areas are all on the coast primarily. Right. So you're hunting salt marsh. And I mean, that's, I mean, you have one in Matagorda, you have one in, you know, Galveston area, you have one on the east side of town in Anahuac, but it's all, you know, salt marsh, you know, salt water, backwaters is what it is. And you're, I mean, it, it's, it's some work. I mean, you're, you're walking through, you know, waist deep mud 
at All three right. o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, um, trying to get to a spot. I mean, sinking and I'm a big boy, you know, I'm like 280 pounds and 280 pounds walking in marsh mud. is <laughs> not, I do not recommend it for anybody. I'm not that big, but I've been in that marsh mud before. And yeah, it's, it's not salt marsh mud, but I've been in that marsh mud before. And like when you're sinking up to your, like your knees, middle of your thighs up to your hip, that that's some serious work. No, it, it is. Um, Actually, one time down in uh, Trinity Bay, I was hunting with two of my buddies. Uh, we just went on a fun hunt, and uh, the water went out on us. It was going out faster than we anticipated. So the hunt didn't even get to start. Uh, first light was about to happen, and the water's just rushing out of where we're at. And us being hunters, we're like, hey, look, we're going to get stuck either way. So let's at least shoot a couple birds at first light. So first light sure. happened. We shot. We shot into a group of teal. We dropped two or three of them, and then we we're like, all right. Now we we got our we 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 earned we earned this. Now let's figure out how we're gonna get out of here. And so, so did you walk in, or is that like did you use a boat? Like no. So we were in the salt marsh in the boat. It was okay. a pro drive, a center console pro drive, and we had all the decoys out in front of us and whatnot you know, hunting the boat. And then we were just in this cut in this back, this back lake and the water just started pulling out and, you know, sure. going into the bay and we were watching and we were like, man, it looks like the water's dropping. And we kept looking at it. Hey, I see more mud now. And they were like, well, I mean, we're already here. We, you know, we're, we, we're not going to have enough time to move and then right. go still make a hunt, you know? So we, we got, we all tried getting the boat out. We eventually got it out. It was several hours of labor. Um, I was, I was stuck to the point of, I had to put figure, I was laying on my back in the mud. Okay. <laughs> but like I was, so I was laying on my back, like I was making mud angels, like a snow <laughs> angel, you know, and my feet were just there and I was just floating on top of the surface. But anytime I'd move, like my, if I moved my leg, I was going straight down. So I had to figure out how to get my foot on the, the uh, prop guard on my buddy's pro drive. And um, I had to have him trim it up to use it to lift me up out the mud to break the suction and everything. That's crazy. Like It was, been- it was bad. There's last, last year, the last hunt of the season, I knew the water was low, but I didn't know how low it was. Like I did, like it was, it was where we needed to be. And I'm like, we're going to, we're going to try. Right. And this was a rookie mistake on my part. I never moved the pin on my gator tail lower. So I had to set high for like better, like performance and speed, Yeah, but I couldn't trim down far enough to like really work mud. And I got like, we're going into this bay. And we're going back in there, and I'm like, it's shallow. I'm like, okay, it's real shallow. So I turn hard, and the boat's like, now like we're, we're we're no longer in water, we're in mud, and the boat's skipping, and I'm trying to trim down and like keep speed, and we spin around, and I like it's just, ugh. I'm like, oh man, and this is no dark, and it's dark, it's early. It took us an hour, Tom, hour and a half to get out of there, like. I had a buddy with me, the guy that actually started this, like the Paddle and Fin podcast, Brian Schiller was with me. 
and he's wearing his fly fishing waders with boots. So he's got stocking foot waders with wading boots over the top. And we're both out like pulling the boat and like walk, working back through this like knee to waist deep mud and he loses a boot. <laughs> so he's, he found his boot and I'm finally like, like his waders just weren't up to that task. I'm like getting the boat on the push pole. So he's in the boat on the push pole and like it's inches. Like we're like, we're winning this by inches and like, we somehow got set up still and we had a good hunt, but like everything was just so covered in mud. And this was the middle, like the last week of December, like it was supposed to, we were supposed to get a big cold snap. It was already cold out. I'm out there the next day, like power washing. Like I used a six inch drywall knife to scrape the mud off my front deck. Oh yeah. So <laughs> it's funny you brought that up. So that day, my buddy Ryan, Bought brand a box of brand new decoys at Bucky's because it was around Christmas time. Hell, it might have okay. even been Christmas morning. Um, because I do remember making a post with the ducks that we killed with Christmas hats on them. Um, <laughs> on on the on the Instagram. But anyway, nice. so we, after after the hunt, we went to we went to the car wash, and I mean, we stayed at the car wash probably an hour at least, just hosing everything off. I'm talking about decoys waders the boat the truck i mean we all stripped down washed our normal clothes off and then put our you know backup clothes on it was it was an intense cleaning to still have a, a month left of hunting season that's crazy like it's it's crazy like like you were near in that mud and you know you're in that mud like you know things are going to get muddy but when you're getting in and out of the boat and everything else and then even after it's like when you have inches, literally inches of mud on your boat, it's like, man, like I was out there with a putty knife scraping it off. Like, and like, it's, can, you don't, people don't know mud until they reach those scenarios and they're like, oh, this is that mud that everybody talks about. My only saving grace, my only backup plan was I had two other buddies out on this marsh hunting with, like, not with us. They went their own way. We went a different way. And I had them in my hip pocket. I'm like, if I'm still trying to drag this thing out by 9 a.m., y'all are going to have to cut bait and come drag me out because, like, at that point, we're done. Yep. <laughs> we got out. Like, it took us a good hour, hour and a half. And there was quite a few swear words thrown around. Like, but, yeah. yeah but had, looking back now, that, like. That day that that boat got stuck that bad, had I been there by myself stuck, I would have personally been screwed. I would have had to wait there until the tide came back in or I'd had to crawl out of my waders to, to get, to set myself free. You know, right. it was crazy. that bad. I mean, if it wasn't, and if there had only been two of us that day in the boat, instead of three, we wouldn't have been able to manhandle it out either. Right. Like bigger boats, just harder to move. And my boat's not huge, but it's a 1651 F4 with a 37 gator tail. I mean, it's not a light boat. It's not like a 12 foot John with a six horse long tail. It's not like yeah. I can just grab the thing and drag it. It's heavy enough where it's like, yeah, it takes work. Well, do you know the, uh, do you know the PVC trick? I don't care. Like, is that where you're talking about putting like PVC pipes on in front of it? So it rolls over yeah, the top so of it. You, when you can pull it, it'll, you know, break that surface. I don't carry PVC. pipe. I've, I've read about that trick, but I've never actually like used it. So I've used it. I mean, I didn't use it on my boat personally, but I have used it and it does work. I don't, I'm, I'm the same. I don't have any PVC poles in my boat either. 
you know, but mm -hmm. it that trick really does work. I know guys that have used it on the Mississippi because the Mississippi by us is pretty sandy. Like a lot of people think the Mississippi's muddy. Up by us, it's sandy. Okay. Like legitimate sandy. Um, I'll get to that like in a real quick second. But I know guys that keep PVC on them where if they get stuck, they'll put it under the boat to roll it back off because they're, they're run up on a sandbar. And I don't care what motor you have. I mean, if you're stuck on a sandbar, a surface drive doesn't eat in sand. Like it doesn't. No, like no all it does is eat your prop. Right. But we were hunting that early the last weekend of early season and we walked the boat like we took the boat way back into like a different backwaters out there we threw all of our decoys we put the boat about 200 yards away from us 150 yards away from us we walked it up down shore stuck a stake out pole through it went over hunted out of some taller grass and first fly and we were where the birds wanted to be and this is why it was so disappointing like we were where the birds wanted to be and i didn't have my dog with me because it was just she's older and that was just a little too much current where i was comfortable hunting her there like my first priority is making sure my dog's safe like most of like most people that's got dogs and i'm just like Absolutely, that's a little yeah. too much current for me to feel comfortable unless i'm going to swim to get her if something goes wrong because the boat's too far away like i can't run and get the boat to go get her if something goes sideways yeah. First flock of geese come in, we drop two, both of them good splashdowns. Like, I'm like, sweet, let's go get the boat. We'll go get them. The one bird that hit the water, like, flat and hard, all of a sudden jumps up and sticks its head up. It's like, I'm out of here and starts swimming hard. Like, that thing was flat for 30 seconds at least with its head in the water. And all of a sudden it jumped up like, hey, I'm going to leave. <laughs> and right by us is, like, flooded, taller grass. And I'm like, if it gets to that, we're going to lose it. So we're lobbing rounds at this thing and like it's out of range now. So I go run to get the boat. And while we were out there, the river dropped two to three inches. That two to three inches made all the difference where I, because of the sand, I basically had to walk the boat out and like we lost that bird. Like it, it was, I was pissed. Like I was so pissed. I'm like, how did we lose this bird? Like I should have brought my dog. Like, Everything yeah. went like because I couldn't oh, like I, I couldn't get the, I couldn't get the motor to eat. I should have brought my dog because I sure. I couldn't get the motor to eat and I was dragging sand and I'm like this and I drove back and forth through all that grass and it was taller than me standing in the boat and four foot of water like see that so so that trick the trick is that's when you have a, a big guy like me as a friend and then we sit in the front of the boat to just give you that much more. To, to lift your ass end up to be able to push the boat a little bit. That's probably what I needed. I probably should have told Brian to get in the front of the boat and then we could have probably got out of there. But like I've solved that. I've, I've got a solution for that this year. I picked up a old town sportsman. What solo canoe? It's a 12 foot canoe. It's only 40 pounds. It's a single okay. person canoe. So I'm going to make a rack to mount it on the side of the boat. Cause we normally, I don't hunt out of my boat normally on the Mississippi. There's so much grass and islands by us. Like I ditch the boat and have a much better natural hide. Yeah. But I'll drag that canoe up with me. So if we get a cripple or something like that, that thing's so fast. I can chase a cripple down super yeah. quick and being only, I think it's like 45 or 50 pounds. Like it's so light. It's like, it weighs less than the blind I have on my boat. That's crazy. So that's, that's the plan this goes, year. I mean, that's a whole other topic of, you know, how far technology has came to, you know. Right. Right. So when you guys are on marshes and that, like, I like tied something I never consider. That's obviously something you guys are considering. Are you hunting from the boat? Are you hunting from islands? Like, so, I mean, it just depends. Sometimes we'll hunt out of the boat. 
you know, and do like an East Coast style duck hunting here in Texas, which not a lot of people do or experience. And, you know, we'll break out the long lines and the decoy rafts and go out in the middle of the bay and, and hunt redheads and bluebills and divers, you know. All right. So, all right. Then, so you're doing like a true open water hunt then out yeah. there. Yeah. So, so we'll do that. And so we'll use, you know, but sometimes depending on where we're at, we can go put our layout blinds on a, you know, a, um, a oyster, you know, oyster bed. All right. And set up or there's islands that you can set up on and we'll, you know, anchor the boat on the back side of the island. We'll hunt the front side of the island and, you know, away sure. and out in front of us, we'll have all, you know, or hundred plus decoys. So you're doing all, uh, and that makes sense. I mean, that's similar here. Like we have open water hunting, we're hunting islands, we're hunting out of a boat, depending on the scenario. So that all makes sense. Like it's, it, it's just, it's always interesting to me to like hear how like different because areas can be so different, like just so different. So I think like, I agree. Like, I think the hunting, uh, you know, that like y'all do probably in us, like on the Mississippi is the same. But just the terrain itself is just where, where your big differences are. And I guess also the waterfowl that you're getting in trafficking as well. Right. And that's, you know? that, that leads me to my next question. I have two questions because one we're going to start with the one that really has me curious is, do you have to worry about gators on the yeah. salt? Like I figured, like, is that why you like when you said you should have brought the dog? Like, did you not bring the dog because of gators? Like, that's so, my first. Yeah. Thought. So, so in teal season, like a lot of our public body of waters, you know, the, the lakes and the rivers and, you know, pretty much anywhere public that, you know, there's going to be gators. You tend to not bring your dog because the get in September, the gators are really bad. It's hot. They're all out. And. I mean, even going into these wildlife management areas and drawing a number and walking into one of their, you know, their landlocked ponds, there's alligators in there even. Sure. Yeah, like you know, that. Right. Like I, I fished Florida. Like my in-laws go to Florida every year. They rent a house. And one year I, we finally drove down there. And I'm like, I'm going to fish. And I started reading all the laws. I'm like, oh, look at that. I can carry I can carry in Florida when I'm fishing. I'm like, oh, you're damn right. I'm carrying in Florida when I'm fishing. Like gators, like. I'm not used to that. I'm a Wisconsin boy. Like, like we ain't got, like, we just like funny. I mentioned this, like someone, they just found like a two and a half foot gator in a lake up here. Like someone released it obviously, but it's like, that's the closest we get to a gator and there yeah. ain't no way that thing's making it through winter. Well, so, and so that's the thing. So not, so we do have to worry about gators, of course. Um, you really don't hear too many like human attacks from the gators. You know, they're, they don't really mess with us and we don't really mess with them. Sure. Uh, but of course, you know, a dog going after, you know, a bird. Yeah, they're going to mess with it. Um, so normally what we'll do is we'll we'll run a hunt. And then, you know, like if we're out in the, the, the marsh, you know, we'll hop in the boat and go pick up the birds after each, you know, volley. As long as there's nothing, you know, way out there, because sometimes you will have a gator come up and, you know, take your bird from. You. I believe it. Like I was just going to ask, like, how many birds do you lose to gators? I mean, like that's a smart gator. Like, and and they're an animal, and all animals start to realize what's easy prey and what's not. Like, pressure changes things. Pressure changes the birds and all that other stuff. And like, yeah, they're I they're get, they're adapting, and that's all they're right. doing. You know, we're 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 taking their stuff away from them, so they're having to adapt, and they're adapting the best that they know how. I mean, I've seen an eagle grab a, grab a teal like an eye dropped. Like I've had an eagle come in and grab a teal and take off. They ain't that, yeah, not and that way. At, at one of uh, the property that we have in Corsicana, um, we had an eagle out there for two days um, hunting birds, 
hunting our birds and you know and it sucked because on that it, we had a hunt scheduled for that weekend and it was like a thursday and a friday the eagle decided it found where the birds were and you know scared the birds out sure and luckily the bird we did get some birds did come back that saturday morning when we ran the hunt but not as much as what that was there before the eagle showed up i mean i've got video of eagles like because i've got a lot of eagles up here being in wisconsin and like i think all but one county has nesting pairs of eagles now like our eagle population in the past 10 years has exploded okay like, I remember See, up. go ahead Oh, okay, I was just gonna say that, like, our like for us, it's not very common to see eagles. You so, know, like, it, like here not. now, growing up, like, it was like, oh my gosh, a bald eagle, and now it's like we go hang out on the river on the sandbar. It's like, there's an eagle, there's an eagle, like bald. Like, I've got video hunting last fall of two eagles coming in, sitting in a tree, and like the mojo kicked off because I had it on timer. Well, it's a lucky duck, whatever. And all of a sudden, one eagle came swooping in. The thing turned off, and it went and landed in the tree right above my boat blind, and it's staring down at my decoys like, which one's real? I opened the boat blind up, and that eagle's like, wait, what? And it takes off. <laughs> that's awesome. It was cool, and I caught it all on camera. That, and, and not just that, but, you know, that that's awesome. But also the fact is that the eagle's, the, the eagles making that much of a comeback. That's really mm -hmm. awesome. It is. I think this was a couple of years ago, so it might have changed, but we had nesting eagles in every county except for one in Wisconsin. That's, so th that's wonderful. So the only change could be is now that we have them in all counties. Like, I doubt it's gone backwards. Yeah, so, I don't think it's gone backwards because I've, no. I've seen more. I've seen more over the years than I have, you know. So I've noticed, you know, I've noticed the same thing, you know, seeing, you know, a bigger population because I've seen them more. Right, more now than I have in past years, but like that that eagle, I think that was the second eagle that landowner has ever seen in his entire life. That's cool, like that. That's cool. Like I'm like I don't want to say like I'm spoiled or anything like that, but now it's like I see an eagle and it's like it, it's I almost see more eagles than like red-tailed hawks around here now. It's the craziest, but I'm over that water. Is. Wait, but I'm over water a lot more now. Well, yeah. I mean, there is that too. Another fun thing like this year is I've seen a lot of osprey and they've been okay. a ton, like, they've been a ton of fun to watch, like hanging out on the, cause I do a lot of like in summertime, I use my boat a lot. Like friends and I will like, we have a, a river, the Wisconsin river by us. There's a bunch of sandbars. So we'll just go grab a sandbar and we'll hang out. And we were lucky to see another 10, like maybe five or 10 boats all day long. Like, like no one else joins us on our sandbar cause they can go a hundred yards or 200 yards away and find their own sandbar. So yeah. Like it's super fun that way. And like, like watching the Ospreys out there have been really cool because they hit that water so hard when they dive in. It's amazing. Like they're way up there and they just cup, the, they just fold their wings and they're a rocket and it's only like two feet deep. Like, I don't know how they're not hitting the sand. And breaking their necks. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been fun this year. Like I don't remember seeing as many Ospreys before as this year. So I don't know if it's just the way the weather's worked or if I've never really noticed it, but, that, that's been cool yeah that this weather this weather has everybody i think scared for hunting season yeah it's i don't think i'd have to look i don't think we're officially in a drought anymore last year it was crazy low like last year places that always had water had none 
Like I had friends out scouting and they're like, and, and they're on the internet and they have some Facebook pages and they're like, if you haven't been scouting, you better get out there. Cause the places you think you're going to run with your boat, you aren't. And then all of a sudden like opening weekend came and that Saturday night, the post started flying. I couldn't make it out of the boat ramp, this, that, and other thing. And like the people that have been out scouting were like, we told you. We told you. We told we you told there was you. We no didn't have to do that. We didn't have to do that. We were just being nice. Right. And I know you said, like, I know we kind of talked beforehand that you guys are in a drought right now. Yeah, so, so we're in a pretty bad drought. Bad enough. So um, rice fields, you know, when you when you – when you lease these rice fields, not only are you leasing the hunting rights to them, you also have to have the um, pay for the water to be pumped onto the rice. You also have to pay for the loss of crop when your farmer, you know, cuts your hole out for you or, or sprays your, okay. your hole out for you. So there's a lot that goes into the rice fields. And the reason why I bring the rice fields up is because one of our properties where we were guaranteed uh, water for till season. We are not guaranteed water anymore because the LCRA who controls the water for, you know, a lot of farmers said that, Hey, the water's so low, we cannot pull from any of the lakes. So we're, nobody's getting water this season. Oh. So there's a lot of different, um, farms you know rice different crops in general but you know not but different industries you know you're gonna have the right. rice industry affected you're right. gonna have the industry affected because a lot of people are not gonna have water um so what does that what does that mean luckily on my other property i have a well so anybody that has a well will have guaranteed water what sure. that could mean is hey if you have water you're almost 100 percent sure gonna have the birds because there's no other water for them to go to Right. It's, so it's going to really, it's, if you have the property this year, like that's going to be key because the birds aren't going to have as many places to go to. Like yeah, you, it might, as much as it's crazy to sound, like it might set up for some spectacular hunting. Yes. And it, it could, and it can, but it can also on the flip side of that, Hey, right. well, since there's not as much water. There's not as much crop. So now we can't hold these birds near as long. So they're going to move on faster than they would have before. So now, you know, we're hunting scragglers and, you know, in Texas, we don't get, you know, constant pushes of birds. So we'll get, we'll get a front, you know, like for opening weekend, we'll probably hunt those birds, you know, two or three weeks hunting the same birds, having to swap it up on them and switch the game up on them and keep tricking them. And, you know, hunt the blind this day and then change it up and hunt a different part of the field just to keep the birds on their toes. Because in here in Texas, especially down this far South, you're hunting the same birds. Mm -hmm. We get, we don't get, I mean, we get good pushes of birds, but a lot of times like we'll still stall out, like we'll get good pushes of birds, but a lot of times in specific areas, depending on how far you're willing to drive, like, you'll get birds that will like, you'll get that weird weather pattern where for three weeks, like we don't get a good cold front. We don't get a good solid North wind. And like, you're hunting like just stale birds and you can tell because yeah. they know what's up. Like, like by the, like the refuges on the Mississippi river, like you can really tell when you don't have new birds because the birds like evening hunts become better than morning hunts. 
because what happened, you've got all those wildlife refuges there where the where obviously you can't hunt in a wildlife refuge and people that are listening, if you don't know that, like you can't hunt in a wildlife refuge. So well, what so, happens? So, so, I'm, so I, 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 I saw you tell the listeners that. So in Texas, we actually have wildlife refuges or, you know, that we can hunt. So I take that like on the river, there are refuges you like on the river. There's like wild, there's wildlife protected refuges, which aren't huntable. We do have different properties that aren't called a refuge that are huntable. Okay. Okay. So, so you're right to clarify that. Like, yes, that's generally speaking on the upper Mississippi river. Like there's wildlife refuges that are not their water. Well, they're not refuges. Let me be specific. They're waterfall protection areas where you can't hunt. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We have some of those. Be- too. I just, I just know like, you know, cause I have heard people that say, Hey, you can't hunt the refuge. And I was like, well, here in Texas, we're hunting the refuge, you know? Sure. Sure. So you're right. I misspoke. I need to be more specific and you're right. Cause everyone's from the country listening. They're waterfall protection areas. You can't hunt. I call them a refuge. Cause like in us, like we don't like, our public areas really aren't labeled refuges. So for us, like that's a refuge. Like that's just a local term, I guess you would call it. But what the birds will do is they'll come out at night to feed in all the backwaters. And then like when all the boats come out and everybody comes out to start setting up, like you'll watch this great exodus of birds go right to those protection areas and they'll sit there all day long. Cause they get smart. They know. They get smart. They, they know. Absolutely. So you get it like, it's like, and, and like, this is a huge tip. Like, like, like if you're in this area, like you have this like happen, even if you're not in this area, if you have those protection areas, if you get a cloudy, dark day, those birds will come out way earlier and your evening hunt will be as what you would normally think as a morning hunt. So it, it's cause it's getting dark out. It's still legal shooting time. Then birds are coming back out. Cause they're like, Oh, we're safe but they're not safe because like it's still legal shooting time. Like that's one of those areas you don't want to pull the pin too early. Like you don't like, if I'm going to go out there, like if I'm going to make the trip to go out there, like I'm hunting all day. Like that's those are one of those weird spots where I'll hunt all day and like I'll skip a morning to come out at 11 to hunt through the evening. And it's funny you say that because like here in our rice fields, you know, it's primarily morning. Um, You primarily hunt the mornings here in Texas, you know, even, even for, you know, your bay hunts and everything else. Yeah, you can do the, the middle of the day hunts as well. Once you start patterning some birds, of course. Right. Um, and we will switch it up. But primarily, it's all morning hunts. And like you said, you'll you'll hunt the, you know, the refuge and, you know, and wait for the birds to come back to it. Where sure. us, our refuge shuts down at noon. So you have all to right. be out of there. All firearms have to be out of there, you know, at noon. So that's so, a little different. That's different. So you're forced to hunt the morning and then they let the birds have the afternoon. Yep, exactly. And then even like on your, even on your public hunting areas, like with boats, you know, your, your, your public bays, your public rivers and lakes, even then I'd say 80% of the hunters in Texas don't even hunt the evenings on those. Really? Yeah. I, I will say though, like, I would say it, there's definitely more morning pressure out there than there is evening pressure. And people like, and can you have a good morning hunt out there? Of course you can, especially oh, if you have new yeah. birds. If you have new birds, it doesn't matter. They don't have, they don't know the game yet. But if you have stale birds, like if I had to choose like a half a day at work for vacation, I'm going out in the afternoon. Like there's no, but that's only in those specific areas by those wildlife protection areas. Yeah. You go, you go away from that and get to a normal 
Sorry for cutting you off, but no, say, and on and and on stale birds. You know, you, if you right. know you have fresh birds, all right, yeah, we're gonna go hammer it in the morning. You know, exactly, exactly. But now you get like to like the regular marshes around here. Evening hunts seem to be top, like evening hunts don't play out nearly as good as a morning hunt, even on stale boards. Like it's just those weird specific pockets around those protection areas where those birds get wise. Yep. But see, so now I'm going to do a tip. I'm going right. to do a tip now. So my tip is, if you want to shoot mallards in Texas, don't leave at 9 a.m. Stay till 11. You might get a chance at seeing some late morning mallards. That's all I'm going to say. That's like, it's funny you say 9 a.m. Because like, and it's funny you say to stay till 11. So like for us, mallards are a morning, morning bird up here. Like like if we're morning hunting, like if, if, if you're not seeing birds by 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning, like. I've stayed later. It's worthless. It really is for like in most areas here. And we always used to joke on a slow hunt. We'd say the main flight of the mallards between nine and noon. That was our joke. It's funny though, because here in Texas, it, I found it to be true. Right. That's why I'm saying it's awesome. Cause like our big joke, like the, like my main hunting friends was always the main flight of the mallards between nine and noon. And when we start saying that, like we know we're done. Like we know by that point, like we're done. Like, it, like we're not going to get a push of birds between nine and noon where we're hunting. So that was our joke. But for you, but for that to be true for you, that's hilarious. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's very true for me. Um, and really like for us, you have your first morning flight and then it'll, you might get some stragglers in between there, but then you'll, you won't get another flight till maybe nine or 10. And All I right. found, you know, at nine or 10, you'll get your, your second wind of birds coming in that, Hey, they might have not. They might have been eating instead of roosting, so they're they're on a flip schedule. Sure, you know, and that's where scouting can come in too. Scouting and just time in the marsh, like that's where it really pays off because you can start to pick up on these nuances and these different patterns. Which once you find these different weird, unique patterns, is when like you really, to me, you take that next step up in your level of hunting. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, there's. I mean, I'm, I still learn stuff to this day and I'm, I don't plan to ever stop learning, you know, and that's and that's how you become, you know, the best. And I'm nowhere near the best by no means, you know, um, but I, 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 I do I do what I can do personally the best that I can. And I've had a really good success rate at it. I mean, just when I think I got the birds figured out, they flip a 180 on me and I'm like oh. back to square one. I'm like, wait. Like, like as soon as, like, as soon as you get cocky, when you're like, this is going to be an awesome hunt, like you got it dialed it, like, and yeah, it does happen. But like, as soon as I really start to get cocky and I'm like, I've got these birds pegged and I know for sure. And like, yeah, I'm calling friends. Like you got to come out here. This is going to be awesome. That's when like everything changes and goes sideways. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've actually hunted a timber hole. So, you know, like I said, you know, I, I'm very vertical, you know, I have outboards, right. I have mud motors, I have rice field, you know, I have farm ponds, so I can change up the scenery and also, you know, try to follow the birds and put, you know, put clients and even myself on the best hunting experiences that I can offer. Um, I, I have a spot on the river that's like a timber hole. So we'll take okay. a river ride, you know, going, going through some backwater river and then we'll park and then, you know, take this cut into this 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 backwater lake and then we'll go back to it and there's a little pond over there and it's uh, it's like a timber hole and we we did we we went in there on a whim 
and we threw the we threw the book at them. And on that day, you know, I don't I know the East Coast is pretty familiar with hunting wood ducks, and it sounds like y'all are too, mm-hmm. you know. But and, and so are we down here. So, you know, I don't I don't know about much on the West Coast. I don't think they're they're really you know familiar with wood ducks. Um, I could be wrong on that, but I'm I'm I have I have a lot of guys from the West Coast that always ask to come shoot wood ducks. So that's where my you know. I don't know for sure. I didn't talk about wood tucks when I lived in California. I, I did go out there for DU. I did help at a DU event and I was talking to some of them guys and they're like, I'll trade a mallard hunt for you. I'm like, with what? He goes, pintails. I'm like, wait, pintails? Like I hunted an entire season just to get one good one. He goes, man, those are our mallards. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, there is, so what I was getting at though yes. with that is that um, we we had we had the wood ducks decoy. We had we had them pass by. We had enough water motion that they they went past because wood ducks do what they want to do. They know where they're going, and they wow. broke their came back and decoyed and landed in. And when when you can when you can sit here and say, hey, I I legit worked and decoyed wood ducks on public land and in, in a in a back lake. I mean that's something. I mean yeah. to have to watch wood ducks break their necks to get in a hole. When wind ducks are not that, they're either going there because they always go there, or they're just going to pass shoot them. That that's the same here, man. I mean, I've had some success getting wood ducks to decoy occasionally, but for the most part, like you got to be where they want to be, or you got to be in their flight path. Like they don't decoy yeah. any better here than they do down by you. It sounds like. Yeah. That's crazy how they are, though. You know that they're you know. They're stubborn. Like like for us, though, you know we'll. You know, because I think we, we, I don't know, we may have some similar hunting tactics, but I've, you know, I compare a lot of our hunting tactics to a lot of the guys in Arkansas because I've had a lot of buddies that run, run or guided outfit, you know, guided with outfits in Arkansas. And they'll, they'll get, the birds will get rough up there and we'll, they'll put the Texas twist on it and, and, you know, do some, some Texas tricks that, you know, I, you know, that some guys aren't familiar with and, just having just being able to add different techniques and tricks i mean just makes for a better successful hunt um, you know like like a, a lot of a lot of you know guides up in in arkansas just leave their decoys out the whole season you know and a, a trick for up there is yeah leave your decoys out or whatever i personally don't leave decoys out but i like to change it up on the birds for every day but up there, they see they see different birds more than they see the same birds, so it's okay. But if they were to just to throw, you know, a dozen or two dozen specks on the side, sure. they would just get that much more, you know, birds just from the confidence of seeing the speckle bellies there. Right. And surprise, like, on some hunts with pressured birds, I've had them decoy and land in the Canada goose decoys I've had set to the side rather than the ducks. And that's happened enough. Where even if I'm not goose hunting anymore, I'm throwing half a dozen goose decoys now. And that's in my prime shooting area now because my birds, like pressured ducks for some reason, will land in between the goose decoys I found more than they'll land by the duck decoys. Yeah, and that's it's, it's, it's them, you know, getting smart and, and they know it's mm-hmm. safe. Right. You know, they, that makes them feel safe. I mean, just like for me down here, I, I'll run a whole bunch of coop decoys. Sure. And I can't, I can't tell you how many ducks I've had land in, in my coot decoys. And I know some guys around here that will run big rafts of coot decoys and that weird kind con- like, it's just that I think it's part the confidence and part it's a completely different look. Cause 
most most a lot of duck hunters I see up here have their dozen goose decoys and like three dozen mallard decoys. Like, and there's like no like they, like that's pretty a standard spread here. Maybe four dozen mallards, and they're not mixing mu in much other birds for confidence birds. And like you start giving out those little differences, I think is where the keys can really come to change into a more successful hunt. And and I I, I second that, and I'm gonna follow up with that. You you are correct, and you just hit the nail on the head because I got a, a lot of guys down here in Texas I know that you'll catch them hunting the marsh, and they're running mallard, you know, old flambu '90s, you know '90s early 2000 flambu mallard decoys in the marsh or you know in the bay, just and and they're, yeah they're killing their bluebills and their divers and, and there's and their teal of course. But, you know, to, to get those, you know, the pintail and your gadwall and your, your harder birds to hunt, you know, they, they, they're used to seeing the same thing. So, you know, you got to keep, you know, like I said, you got to keep them on their toes. Right. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't run your typical, you know, spread. I mean, I have, I have blackjacks in my spread, you know, I have a dozen blackjacks in my spread. And a lot of people don't run blackjack decoys. No, I've never heard of anyone. No, I've never heard of anyone around here running them. You know, and and I've and I've had ducks key in on those blackjack decoys. Sure. Another one that I run is a spoonie. I right. I, I, I run spoonies. I run ringnecks, gadwall, and you know I'll run I'll run my pintail depending on where I'm hunting at because we sure. do. We, you know, we do have a lot of pintails in the rice. All right. Um, so you, you had said something about the pintail and um, going on pintails. We, and going back to the geese, um, some of my best pintail hunts have been over goose decoys. Uh, in, a goose, in a goose field, hunting, hunting geese, our best to, uh, pintail hunts have been hunting geese. Interesting. I have... I we have pintails come through here, but it takes work. It takes a lot of time to like really get into it. Like you'll have the random day. Like I've had some good days on the Mississippi where like, it's a lot of pintails, but we don't get them like other places do. That's for sure. So I've never had a correlation where like I have a bunch of goose decoys and they're like, Oh, pintails. Like, like right. I don't think we have enough of them here to even make that correlation. Maybe yeah, some people have had those hunts, but I personally haven't. And see, and for us, it's not just like any decoy, you know, it ain't like we're putting out a whole bunch of Canada's. It's actually snow geese decoys that they right. come into. It's like, like a, it's like you turn on a magnet and they just come into it. Um, I mean, I, I have footage and, and videos and stuff of hunting in the conservation season and running a goose spread with the e-collar and everything else. And of course we shot some geese, but I mean, we probably had... I don't know, every bit of a thousand pintails just circling oh. over us. And, and awesome. just there. It, it was it was beautiful. It was a very beautiful sight. And and I have that film, so that's nice. And I'll shoot that film over to you so you can see it. I'll awesome. have to find it from, from the archives. But um just to, to see that was awesome. But then it it, it, it hits you where it hurts because it's like you're looking and you're like, man, <laughs> I can't even do anything with it. You know, I, 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 all I can do is look. And then after seeing it so long, it just becomes sickening. Right. Right. You know, and we had, you know, we actually had some guys on the East Coast come and hunt with us this past season. Um, we hunted them in the rice one day 
and they all got their limits to pintails and uh, got to watch probably 300 pintails work the blind to sit there and dance around the blind. Um, and then we went from hunting and shooting pintails in the rice. We went down to Matagorda to the bay and went on the beach from the beach side and hunted the bay. And uh, they ended up getting some bluebills and um, some, st uh, they actually ended up getting a stud widgeon and took it back home with them to put on their wall with the pintail that they got with us. So nice, nice. You know, and, and, you know, it, it's, it's been some weird, it's been, it's been a weird couple years of, of waterfowl hunting though. Um, just, just with how I feel the flight pattern has came down as well. Sure. sure. Um, I feel, I feel the flight patterns have shifted West, you All know? Right. And, and the reason why I say that is, um, for a while there out of nowhere, we had started getting a lot of ruddy ducks. You know, okay. I my, I've been hunting my whole life and it wasn't until, you know, in my early 20s, I learned what a ruddy duck was. Sure. You know, that was the first time I had seen one in, you know, 20 years of being out in the field, you know, and then everybody started shooting them and they became an abundance, almost like a coot, you know, All right. they, they're, there is, they were, they were, they were here. And then for a couple of years, they kept coming back. And now the past couple of years. There really hasn't been any, but if you go out to West Texas to all these oil filled tanks and ponds and stuff like that, they're covered up with redheads, bluebills, ruddy ducks, divers, divers in, on farm ponds in, in the, in the um, Permian, you know, what is it, the Permian Basin, I think, or whatever they call it. Interesting. And I know other people have said that, that they feel like the flight pattern have changed. Like Arkansas, I know I talk to people down there and they're like, we don't feel like it's the same as it always has been. And it's interesting because the weather is changing and that definitely does affect the birds on where they're going. Yeah. So I, I feel that their flight paths have, you know, kind of shifted west a little. And that, and I also say that, be, you know, because of the ruddy ducks that I observe, but also because of um, the, um, just, I mean, just everything else. So in the on the bay this year, we shot, um a long tail a long tail duck you know and then a week later another guy shot one out there interesting and this, i mean and this is this is in um what is that uh freeport freeport texas All two right. long tail ducks were shot they're not supposed to be there we've never seen them there before sure you know just blown off it, their flight pattern and ended up there yep that's and crazy. then, and then here's another one. Um, this year in the on the in the river on the river up in the timber side of the river, you know, there was a golden eye that got shot. So I'm assuming it, golden like golden eyes here are common. Yeah, so golden eyes here are not that common. Um, sure. They're they're not near as common. You know, you I mean, you have a better chance of shooting cinnamon teal here than shooting golden eyes. Got it. Got it. Like cinnamon teal here is like incredibly rare, but I just had a guest on from Arizona and he's a big upland guide. And they're like, we use, we, we bring non-toxic with us. Cause when we hunt, like when we jump little like um, cattle troughs and that, like we'll see cinnamon teal in them. He's like, you yeah. want cinnamon teal come here. I'm like, 
I'm going to remember that. Yeah, I'm going to remember that. Hey, you know what? Give me that guy's info. I might go with him like that. No, it's well, – it's, yeah. go ahead. I was going to say, I was gonna say, like, on that note, like, we're right around the hour mark. So, um, I was going to say, I was going to give you the next few minutes to, like, let us know who your guide service was and everything and let us know how to find you and all that good stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't, this hour went by quick cause I, there's still I a lot more that I feel we could talk about. Cause I feel we didn't even really get into any, any details on anything. We just kind of skimmed through the tops of everything, you know? I know that's, um, it, it was a fun episode, man. Time flew. Oh yeah. So, I mean, like you told me, it'd be like sitting around a campfire. So that's what I imagine. I'm sitting on the front porch drinking yep. a root beer, you know? Exactly. Shout out, shout out, shout out to my sponsor, A&W Root Beer. <laughs> <laughs> we'll tag them in the post now. We'll tag yeah, them. That's funny. No, so um, my outfit's called Waterfowl Laws. Specialized in waterfowl, but we do the thermal pig hunts, um, night vision pig hunts, coyote hunts. Uh, we got cranes, geese. All right. Um, I mean, yeah, uh, we do catfishing trips white bass trips crappie trips uh green light trips which are really fun you go out at night and just go you know troll around different green lights and run lures through them and hook up into fish you know nice um i gave the link to the facebook earlier the um and then the 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 instagram i can't even talk i got tongue tied (laughs) the uh, instagram account is waterfowl underscore outlaws and it's outlaws with the um and that's it really just the instagram and the the facebook those are those are you know sure. what i do and i'm a, and i'm a full-time you know thanks to thanks to you know my my hard work and also you know my supporting family and wife you know i i'm able to do this full-time that's um awesome. so you know i i do the hunting when it's hunting season that's you find me in the woods or on a pond or in a rice field you know we have we have all different things for people to hunt. If you want to hunt rice fields, I got you. You want to hunt a farm pond, I got you. You want to go take a boat ride up in some in, into a river into a backwoods timber hole and maybe shoot some wood ducks and mallards, I got you. I mean, nice. we hunt all over Texas. I mean, we even hunt. You know, we have a couple of spots that's almost like you're hunting in Louisiana. I mean, we're hunting in cypress needles and cypress trees in some areas. Cool. I mean, we're, that's, we're we that's we, awesome. we, like a whole we can definitely. That, that's the nice thing I like to tell everybody. Hey, I can't promise you a, what, the birds. I just can't. You know, I can't sure. guarantee you're going to shoot nothing. I can't guarantee you're going to see nothing. I don't control these birds. What I can guarantee is I'm going to do my best to put us in the best spot. I'm going to guarantee you you're going to have a good time because, you know, when I when I take my clients out, I don't want it to be like, hey, I'm a guide and you're my client. I want it to be like I'm with my buddies. I want them to right. feel like they're hunting with their buddies or their brother or their uncle or, or whatever the case may be, you know, and I really strive for that. That commodity is really is really what I strive for in in the in you know, in the hunting and fishing industry. That that alone is what, you know, makes me do what I do. It's just, and that's and that's why I do the podcast, man. Because it's to me like that camaraderie is all part of the experience, and that's that's really what I like try to drive home. Like in these all these shows, it's the experience is the, what you're really out there for. Yeah. So so I mean that's that's I mean that's kind of it. I mean we do the duck hunts, teal hunts, dove hunts. You know, um, like I said, the crane, the geese, 
and then the the varmints and, and the pigs and the coyotes and all that good stuff for for night hunts you know and we go awesome. we we, have, we go out to pastures and we we also hunt the rice fields at night for the pigs so not right. only so not only are we you know not only are we we're leasing the ground to to hunt on for ducks we're also helping the farmer out by mm-hmm. taking care of his pigs so it's not tearing up the the rice that's planted sure. and growing sure. Which in return is, you know, helping us have, you know, make sure that we have good rice growth for our teal, you right. know, because, right. you know, so it, it's, it's, it's cool to see that cycle and, and to even talk about that cycle because it's, you know, we're, you know, the farmer's helping us by letting us use his land, but we're helping him by, you know, controlling the pigs, you know, destroying his crop so he can, you know, have the best yield when it's time to, you know, you know, sure. cash that crop in. Yeah, we'll have you back on the show for sure, and we'll do a we'll do a hunt about night hunting like different coyotes and pigs and that because I definitely want to talk to someone about that. So we'll bring you on middle of the winter when everyone up here is frozen out, and we'll talk about some pig hunting. Yeah, that that'll be cool because I'm like I said, there's a lot we could talk about, and I feel we didn't even you know get to half of it, you know. Yeah, man, we'll have you back on for sure, and I really appreciate you coming on, and it's, it's been a great episode. No, I appreciate I appreciate you having me. I really do. Um, yeah, and, and and shout out to my buddy Jacob for getting us in contact. You know, right. our buddy yeah. Jacob, I would say. Good old, good old Jacob. So I appreciate you coming on, and, and I'm going to bring you back on the show. Well, probably a couple months from now, and we'll definitely get, I want to talk about night vision and pigs and thermals, man, like for sure. Yeah, awesome. So, awesome. Yeah, for sure. Thanks again for coming on and to all my listeners. Thank you for tuning in for another show. I wouldn't do this without you. And until next time, keep chasing that experience. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode here on Paddle and Fin. Be sure to drop a five-star rating, a thumbs up, or smash that subscribe button on any platform you're listening in on. Be sure to check us out on Waypoint TV, waypointtv.com. Make sure you sign up for the Fantasy Kayak Fishing League at paddleandfin.com forward slash fantasy. You could support this show through Patreon, patreon.com forward slash paddle and fin. Don't forget to check out the website paddleandfin.com. Catch us on YouTube. If you got a question, comment, or want to see a future guest on the show, be sure to email us at paddleandfin at gmail.com. Shout out to our show supporters, Yak Gadget. You can check out all the fine kayak accessories at yakgadget.com. Pelican Professional. For all your cases, coolers, and lighting needs, go to pelican.com. Rocktown Adventures, your Midwest premier paddle sports destination, go to rocktownadventures.com. Eastport Marina, the beautiful destination on Dale Hollow Lake. If you're looking for lodging, kayaks, kayak accessories, or anything fishing related on the beautiful Dale Hollow Lake, go to eastport.info. Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com and fill your tackle boxes today.